everybody! Welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. I'm Simone de Rochefort, and I'm not disgusting at all. I'm a video producer at Polygon.com, and in fact, I'm on camera where I look good. I'm joined today, as usual, by Brianna Wu, vacationer at Disneyland, and Christina yeah. Warren, senior writer at Gizmodo. How's it going? Hello. I did How's the Disney Frozen free? ride like three times today. I did the Frozen sing-along. I've got Anna let and Elsa go. Barbie no. dolls. Yes, let it go. I, it's let really it hard go. for me not to sing the, the, the ethanol version of that song, which is the <laughs> one I know. And I'm sitting next to like five-year-olds and I'm like, Brianna, do not say ethanol. Like when that song comes on, <laughs> yeah, I controlled myself and I'm very proud of that. Uh, Disney is awesome. I feel connected to my husband. Yeah, I'm ready to go back into the sewer of running for Congress next week. So it'll be great. <laughs> Yay. Oh, what a what a cheery sensation that is. Right. It's awesome. That's oh so great. <laughs> so I feel like we've been recording for 10 years because we had like a half hour bachelor pre-show, which who knows <laughs> where that'll end up. <laughs> Uh, no, the, don't be sorry. It's great. It was wonderful. I'm definitely gonna have uh have Jim included at the end of the show if 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 permissions allow. But I'm feeling like it's time to dive right into our first topic, which yes. is Magic Leap and the future of augmented and virtual reality. Ooh. So yeah. in uh, Yahoo News Ooh. this week, there was a piece published about um a woman who was working at Magic Leap who is now suing the company over discrimination and just the way that she was treated when, or sorry, this piece was actually in, um, this was in the guardian, my bad, uh, in the guardian. So she, she was hired in a, a senior role to basically, um, not only promote the role of women in the company, but she was a vice president of strategic marketing and brand identity. And one of her tasks was to highlight the lack of gender diversity, quote unquote, in the company and kind of, explore ways in which Magic Leap could be a product that was more friendly to women, but also that the corporate culture could change to include women more. That did not work out, uh, (laughs) allegedly. And now she um, is suing the company for sexual discrimination. Uh, So this is a big topic that's obviously tied into the entire tech world because VR and augmented reality is kind of the forefront of where that sector is right now and the the things cited uh in this piece that that she is citing in her lawsuit as things that were unacceptable are really just very unacceptable like basic level sexism and racism like I'll quote the Guardian article, an image of two doctors, a man and a woman, prompted the comment, look, it's bring your wife to work day. That kind of quote unquote What year is this? How about about the three O's? Like, horror stories are no, like, it takes a lot to shock a woman in engineering to go like, wow, that's so sexist that we need to talk about this. They had an engineering lead in a training session for people that allegedly got up and said, here in IT, we have three rules. Stay away from the three O's, old people, Orientals, and ovaries. And she tried to get him and she pulled someone aside afterwards. They're like, "Um, can you talk to him and fire him and make sure he stops doing that? They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll totally take care of that. And they don't. 
And they don't, Simone. That's what I don't understand here. It is amazing. Oh, my God. (sighs) Yeah, no, it's bad. I mean, and this is, I mean, not to any way take away from the lawsuit, because the lawsuit is obviously huge, but this is adding on to bad things happening with Magic Leap already. Um, Business Insider had a report last week where they leaked a photo that apparently shows the prototype of what what Magic Leap looks like. And it looks really bad. And Magic Leap has come back and has said, hey, this is a version that's, gathering additional information, but it certainly doesn't look like there's any way that it launches in the next year. It looks like, you know, a huge computer that you have on your back. Like it, it looks bad. Like it doesn't look close to, um, a market. I mean, Beyonce apparently got a, a preview and was unimpressed. Um, so, you know, I think that the, 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 what the bigger concerns about what this says about, you know, the, the situation in tech and especially in AR and VR, it's worth talking about, but I think for a company like Magic Leap, who's raised so much money, this is bad on top of bad. You know, they're already, um, you know, the information article back in December was calling into question how ready is their stuff, and that was based on stuff that people at the information actually saw. And then to see, um, you know, the the leaked photo, whether it was in the the right the correct circumstances or not, um, really kind of indicating um, that it, making it certainly implying the technology is further behind. Um, than what has been kind of uh, the, the the public facade. When you combine that with the lawsuit, this just looks really bad. This looks like a company that's been poorly managed, that's not meeting deadlines, that's raised a lot of money, that's had a lot of hype, and um, you know has the potential to to kind of you know go up into vapor. Mm-hmm. So this this company, uh, I'll find the the number, but it was. A, a non-small amount of money just invested in Magic Leap for a demo which uh, has come out now was merely um, w- was kind of made in conjunction with what a workshop is like a demo of what right. the product could do, not necessarily exactly. an actual tech demonstration, which to be fair, the Yahoo article, which I incorrectly said it earlier earlier but am now correctly citing uh did like have the what a workshop logo in it and like disclosed that but still that this company has billions of dollars of of funding from vcs 4.5 billion that's it the the valuation currently well that's the valuation is raised a billion dollars yeah can we back up for just a second and give like listeners a little bit of background on Magic Leap? Because I realize sometimes like I, I I assume people know all the stuff here. So you you've got the really big players in in VR and AR, right? So there's Oculus, there's uh, PlayStation VR. Like we'll mm-hmm. get into some of the numbers of sa- of sales soon. Um, there's Vive. There's, there's Microsoft. Vive, there's you know, and there's a uh, Hololens. And yeah. None of these have really uh, you know managed to get a foothold you have magic leap and magic leap has um they played a really interesting game because like hololens has been very active in recruiting developers and same thing with vive and oculus right magic leap is kind of mysterious so they say they're like this company that's gonna you know have something that just puts things on a normal pair of glasses in front of you and their demos really range from you know like um giving you stats about climbing up a mountain to like the last one when you're like 
grabbing guns out of midair and then aliens are coming from holes and descending and you're just blasting them. And that's the, the, the vision supposedly of magic leap is it's just going to like augment reality. It's going to be super small and super portable. And they've been really closed off with showing this to people. So Christina, when you're talking about like their actual product coming out and looking like a freaking backpack, like that is <laughs> devastating for them. Absolutely. Cause it's everything. Like, Every- that's the whole thing that they're the saying. Whole- they're not HoloLens, right? Exactly. Well, that's the whole point is that they've been selling themselves as this, this futuristic thing that'll basically be disappearing that'll be portable that'll because you know that's the problem with oculus and vive right now in playstation vr it's all tethered and when you have the portable solutions you know like like you know gear vr like no one cares you know they're they're crappy Mm -hmm. daydream doesn't isn't compelling and 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 for an ar solution especially when you look at hololens it's still clunky right and magically was supposed to be better than that and be portable like you said and so when you you're exactly right brie like when we see what it actually looks like and it looks terrible it looks like it looks more uncomfortable than the existing vr technology that we have on the market and not only that frankly it doesn't look ready i mean to me that honestly i think even aside from the other stuff like it it looks so unfinished Mm -hmm. when they've been when you know as as brie said this has been a very secretive company the very few people have received demos of and the people who have received demos they've mostly been controlled you know like a wired did a, a you know a kind of classic service journalism or not service journalism, classic access journalism story about Magic Leap that I think the Verge's headline was, you know, I I read this Wired article five times and I still don't know what, what Magic Leap does. <laughs> you know, that, that, that said a whole lot about, you know, of nothing about the company and and kind of called into question, you know, certain things. And, and so when we're, you know, the information – got a demo of things and and their original report was kind of devastating back uh in December but then to see the photos which kind of you know seem to confirm that report that this stuff is way further away than what what's been promised and and what investors mm-hmm. have kind of been touting now have we and then when you gotten he- a date on those photos cuz we know that their magic leap has come back and said ah oh, those are R&D prototypes but do we have a a specific date on when the R&D fo- prototypes quote unquote were Photograph. The last couple of weeks. Okay. The last couple of yeah. weeks. There's so soon. I mean, what 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 Magic Leap is saying is that the that prototype is bigger by necessity because it's gathering additional information. So it 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 they're they're trying to kind of say, well, this isn't a fair prototype to judge because this is a prototype that would by necessity be bigger and uglier and and look less ready. Mm-hmm. Regardless, it, it optically it's bad, and I think it's it's really bad when you combine it with then you hear stuff internally when when one of your engineers is suing your company and is saying, well, not only is this stuff behind and not only is it maybe magic beans and hasn't, you know, lived up to its expectations and, and people have invested, Google's invested a billion dollars and all this stuff in it, but it's it's not living up to the hype. Beyond that, this is a, a really toxic work environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it's, it's, yeah, it's, it certainly seems that way. And, you know, like, you know, there's, the thing I got reading her complaint is she was so clearly someone that was interested in building something. Like I know women that have these jobs at different companies in the game industry and by their nature, they're kind of, um, uh, 
they're not confrontational like maybe I am some of the time. Like they're <laughs> people that genuinely want to build stuff and work within the system. And what's really interesting to me is if you read the lawsuit time after time, like she's working in the system, she's trying to schedule meetings that get rescheduled six times, and then the CEO walks out halfway in the middle of, you know, like she's she's bringing people in back channel and trying to get things addressed, and they just freaking ignore her. She is, she's trying to talk about people that are toxic employees, and they just ignore her. And she's trying to point out real problems with sexism with the product, and they just ignore her. And this is really the structural problem that we have in the game industry. Is the dudes that work here don't want to feel like they're sexist, of course. But unfortunately, addressing that kind of cultural problem requires you to think about your behavior <laughs> and do something different, which they're clearly not interested in doing. It requires I mean, the CEO you know, of your company to sit through an entire uh, right. presentation on, on women in the workplace, unfortunately. Right. <laughs> So, yeah, um, it's just, uh, well, yeah, I, it's just, and it, I think it's exacerbated yeah. by, by the secrecy of this company mm, and the exclusiveness of it for sure. Because I mean, they're obviously in big companies, it's difficult to address these things as well because the structure is so in place and it's so built up. But Magic Leap is like this strange, exclusive thing. It's probably an incredible opportunity, I would imagine, to be able to work there and peek behind the curtain and see what they're doing and have a hand in that. But there's also, I think, less, you know, less light being shed on the doings of the people in that company. Um, maybe more now that, you know, she's coming out and doing this lawsuit and people are being like, hey, what actually are you guys doing over there? How's the development going? Hmm. Yeah. So, Christina, can we uh, chat just a little bit about the the story you linked to in um, you know our pre-show chat? So, you know, we've all talked about the problems that VR has had, kind of getting a foothold. But um, you know, the 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 piece you showed me, I was looking at the actual numbers of what's been sold, and it is. It is so much it worse is, than Mom. I could have imagined. You know, um, so like. You know, I would have guessed off the top of my head that Oculus had sold probably a million units. And, you know, just from the looking at the quality of software that's out there and estimating the development costs and even like going, okay, people are losing money on this. But there was so much hype for Oculus, so I would guess they'd have about a million sold. It's not even close to that. Like, it's not even 400,000. No, well, I mean, it, yeah. No, Vive is Vive has outsold them, and Vive, I think they they have the, their predictions like six hundred thousand or something, and right, and that's significantly less than what either HTC or Valve, you know, had kind of predicted, and yeah. um, you know, I mean, the the problem is obviously these are all estimates because there are, there are various numbers from various companies that that have come out, and and no one knows for sure, but. Um, you know, the Wall Street Journal ran uh, an article that basically says, you know, that both, you know, that not both, but uh, all three, uh, Sony, PlayStation VR, Oculus Rift, and, and Vive haven't lived up to the hype. And and they they profile developers. I thought this was what was so interesting, where they're talking, you know, they, they profile developers who've invested, you know, more than half a million dollars in a game and have only yeah. recouped mm-hmm. 60% of their cost. Um, right. and, and, and are basically saying, okay, well, we're not going to make VR games again. Yeah. 
that's a huge problem because obviously bigger titles, you know, Valve can talk about how they're going to make VR games. And, and, and that was announced this week that they're you know bringing some of their franchises to VR and, and that's fine. They're Valve. They can do that. And some of the other big publishers can make those statements too. But when your smaller shops make these investments and they don't pay off, my fear is, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, period, but I figure like it's, it's, they're never going to try again. Like if, if you make this investment and it doesn't pay off and you are, your business is now potentially at risk or, or you're in, in the, the red, you're probably never going to build for VR again, unless it literally is so mainstream that you are forced to is how I, is how I would look at it. Yeah, I wouldn't. No, that's, that's entirely it. I mean, I think all the time about this conversation I had at OC2 with a, a woman and we were talking like both of us run companies. Right. And she's like, you know, I, until there's an install base, we can't justify this expenditure. And VR is really expensive to develop for because you have to use 3D assets. It's not like an iPhone game. Like 2D stuff is relatively cheap to make. Like people don't understand how complicated 3D is. So you've got that. You have entirely new interface paradigms, which means if it's a good game, you're going to have to have a really good uh, quality control and play testing department. You're going to have, um, you know, if you're testing an iPhone, phone game with a playtesting cohort, you, you can go buy a pile of iPhones for you know a few thousand dollars. Here, you're talking about VR rigs and bringing people in and getting them up to speed on that. That's expensive. That's time consuming. So you know, if the market's not there and this isn't panning out, you know, and developers can't get paid. Like this is this is why App.net failed, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. I mean, exactly. it's, it's the developers, stupid. Um, you know, Valve <laughs> can develop something like this. And then essentially develop assets, develop a game, and then do a, an offshoot of it, which is what PlayStation VR is basically doing. And that's a more tenable solution to it. But sure. it just, it really bodes poorly for development. Yeah. For and, this and sensitive like data, we have PlayStation VR selling 745,000 units and then two, two, 243,000 riffs and 420,000 vibes. Uh, hashtag 420. Um, but yeah, yeah, like those are not not great install base numbers. And the no, game specifically are- that's mentioned in the article as being a success is Job Simulator, um, which yep. uh, Wall Street Journal says has more than three million in revenue now. But like that game, if you've played it, it is it is an incredibly simple game. It's not a you know triple A video game in the sense that you would think of an Assassin's Creed or a Call of Duty, etc. Like these million dollar selling games. It is a game where you are in a small cube of space and you get to interact with various things. And it is very cool, like as a, a demonstration of the technology. Yeah, and there is sort of a narrative to it. Like you're, it's almost like um, that movie Office Space, but you're robots. Uh, and it's very interesting. Like it's very immersive, but it is so simplistic compared to a 2D video game. And it was bundled with the Vive for a while. And I think that that's why that's one of the reasons it's doing so well. It's a $30 game. It's not selling at the $60 price tag, which is standard for games nowadays. Um, and that's the one that's recouping recouping its costs. And that's, I think, very indicative of what's happening here. Yeah, yeah. no, I think I think you're right. And I think what's – let's go back to those numbers for a second because obviously these are just projections from, from Superdata. But um, – the Wall Street Journal um, article has um, a really great chart um, that everybody should look at uh, in our links, um, where they have the project, the forecast sales for 2016 versus the estimated sales. 
And what's interesting is that Vive basically matched its its estimated sales. It was a little below, but it was basically on target. Nobody expected Vive to sell that well. People did expect Oculus to sell better. Um, but PlayStation VR, all of us, and I was especially bullish on our show, um, but I think we all kind of thought that that would be the one that would really take off. And it has certainly sold better. Obviously, it sold what well, the other two have sold combined. It certainly sold the best. But it was predicted to have sold over two and a half million units for 2016. And instead, it's looking at, you know, like under 750,000. And that's that's insane to me. I mean, like, is it yeah. even, are, are either of you shocked about that? Because look, looking at that difference, I was just thinking, wow, you know, I thought if anything was going to really kind of bring VR into the more mainstream, it would be the PlayStation VR. Mm-hmm. And that has, I mean, that's a dismal unit sales. Those are, those are like, those are like Nintendo, like console numbers. It would like, have bad. to be. There's kind of, I guess it's, it's not as dire for Sony probably because they are a, a bigger company and this is more of an, ex- well, okay. They're not bigger than Facebook, I guess, but you know, they, they make other kinds of technology. This is a hardware sure. periphery for them and they're kind of testing out the market and it has sold better than the Rift and the Vive. Um, but on the other yeah, hand, like I you would said, hope so. their install this base is, is way is way better. They're, I mean, I would hope it would sell better than the Rift and the Vive. The, yeah. the, the install base is tremendously higher and its price point is lower. Exactly. And like you said, like this is a device that depends on a PlayStation 4 or PlayStation 4 Pro rather than a high-powered gaming PC, which is something that has a way higher point of entry than the PS4, which is the best-selling console of the previous console war. So like it, it had an advantage in that sense already. So it is disappointing and like, ugh, that it didn't meet that forecast number. Yeah. Oh, hey, hey, how's it going, good. everyone? Having a good time? Yeah, yeah I was yeah. going to say, Bree, how do you feel from a developer standpoint? Because obviously, you know, we're, we talked about how, like, if the sales aren't there, you know, developers aren't going to do it. But, like, would you, I mean, you know, obviously you're, you're focused on your congressional run and stuff right now, but, like, would you be willing to, to get involved in VR? I mean, I've got to be honest, you know, we were, before I took a step out and I decided to run for Congress, you know, we were working on technology that the end game with it was VR and AR, right? Like we were working, we wanted to basically get a bunch of uh, data from MIT um, about different uh, emotional cues that you could pick up uh, from, you know, modern sensors and basically turn into a set of frameworks. So, you know, basically imagine playing Mass Effect where it would like listen to your voice and then characters would react differently with that or look at where your eyes are pointing. It would react differently to that. So this is highly applicable to all of these technologies. We saw the data continually coming in and saw like, Ooh, like we're getting reports of how Vive is doing. And it's like further and further, like, can we really go through? Is this something I want to spend five years on? Like really pushing and developing this technology? Um, and it was it was really scary for us. Like we increasingly had discussions about this. So I'd say right now, if you're a startup and you're doing something and you're doing a five-year game, right? Like you're, you're building a technology where you don't need to recoup investment this year and it's five years down the line. I can see it. But if you're someone that needs to make your money back on every single title you ship, VR is not for you. 
It's just not. There's no way to make money here. I haven't talked to anyone that's done really well in it, even with really small titles. And it just, it's a, it's a disaster so far. So, you know, that's, that's where it is. And until there's something out there that consumers are really eager to put money down for, uh, to have in their homes, you know, it's going to be more like an arcade experience, right? It's going to be very specialized and small, and it's it's just not a good investment. Games as a whole are not a good investment for a, a studio right now. Like the entire field is just upended. Here's the problem. Video games are dead. No, I'm not saying that seriously. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not dead. It's not dead. But, I mean, look, you've got... Yeah, you know, some of this is a real thing. You know, as recently as seven years ago, you had a lot of B level studios putting out games like Binary Domain or Alpha Protocol, and those games cost, you know, X, Y, and Z to put out, and they could recoup a profit. And it's so bifurcated at this point on mobile, where it's like King and IP based games. They do well, and they're this IAP-laden candy. So then you've got over on consoles, it's pretty much just um, like these huge annualized franchises. It's really hard for new IPs to get hold. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're somebody that's doing a Destiny, you're going to be fine. But for pretty much anyone else, it is, I mean, it's a, this is why it's impossible to get VC in this field right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've definitely, unfortunately, noticed that. And this episode of Rocket is brought to you by Smile <laughs> and Text Expander from Smile. <laughs> so let's all take a moment and just and smile because I think it's good for you, just like mentally and emotionally. Text Expander from Smile for teams will multiply productivity. I don't have a number specifically by which the productivity will be multiplied, but it will be multiplied. And you you know that that's, that's going to be good. That's definitely going to at least double your productivity. It gives you a shared knowledge base that your team can draw from. And Text Expander will help everyone communicate quickly and accurately. No more misunderstandings. No more, you know, wasting time writing um, boilerplate responses that you might write every day. You can just input a snippet and boom, you have your response that you you need to send to people to communicate with your team, um, et cetera, et cetera. All of your team's common replies can be worded by your best writers. You know, Stan, Stan, who just, he he's not good at replying to emails. I'm sorry, Stan. Any podcast listener named Stan, I'm not talking about you. It's not you, man. It's not you. But that guy on your team named Stan who sucks at replying to emails, listen, just give him the power of text expander. He'll never have to write an email again. He can just, boom, input the words by your team's best writers, set up all those snippets, and you can ensure consistency. Consistency, which is so important when you're dealing with your clients, the people that you depend on for your livelihood. Every time, it is super, super duper wonderfully easy. All this text is immediately accessible and searchable through simple abbreviations and keyboard shortcuts, and you can have them on all the platforms that your team is on. As you know, Mac, iOS, 
and now Windows. Yes, Windows not excluded from the Text Expander and Smile family. You can access all your snippets on these platforms. This is Text Expander. It is a great tool that saves you time when you type things over and over and over again. It improves efficiency for your team and increases productivity. So, uh, you can visit textexpander.com slash rocket to start your free trial. And you can also find out there how companies like WordPress and Desk multiply their productivity using Text Which is definitely not their new jingle because that was really bad. But um, yeah, you can do that there. Christina, you use Text Expander at Gizmodo, right? I do. I use it. I've been using it for years. I've been using it. You're a veteran of Text Expander. A veteran. I mean, how I've, many, I've, I've now give me an estimate. Give me a number. How many hours of your life have been saved? Like how, how many more years will you live because of your use of Text Expander? Medically, um, confirmed by a doctor, medically, 100% accurate. Confirmed by a doctor, I, Wow, I don't know. Um, Christina, I another- asked you for these doctor's notes two weeks ago. I mean, look, look, I'm going to say I probably got another two years of life because of Text Expander. Incredible. You heard it here, folks. Two years, yeah. That's good. <laughs> the emoji one alone, because it basically lets you do Slack um, uh, things. So you do, you know, the, the colon, you know, then the term, and it'll come up with the emoji. That alone saves me. It's, it probably saves me a good month a year. I'm not even joking. Yeah, that's actually a legitimate time. A gl- What's the opposite of a time sink? Time yeah, mountain? It, it, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's like a total... It's, it's like you're receiving a little spoonful of time every time, and you eat it, and it tastes delicious. Would it be a time cannon? Like time cannon? Lasting time yeah. back at you, right back in your face? Yeah, yeah textexpander.com slash rocket again start your free trial uh, thank you so much textexpander and smile for supporting this show hey so Anil Dash wrote a great piece in Medium that is an 11 minute read which very means very long read but very good read <laughs> yeah that's like a 20 minute read for some of us um, Brianna would you mind summarizing this piece for me yeah, you know, this is, um, it's a really thoughtful, thoughtful piece. And, you know, he's, he's basically talking about how we kind of don't have free markets in mm-hmm. tech anymore, and neither regulators nor consumers have noticed. So, you know, if you, if you kind of think back in the 90s, when the internet was really taking off, there was kind of this, this dream that was going to like expand the free market economy right? Uh, eBay is a really good example because like theoretically anyone on there can, you know, put a product out to sell at any price they want. And then a consumer can go look at this and, and decide if they want to do that or not. But he started talking about like all the ways that this has really been um, disintegrated in the last decade. So a good example he gives is, um, you know, uh, on eBay. Now you have preferred listings. Some people pay a little bit of money. Uh, so they find themselves elevated in the search results. Uh, so it's not really a completely neutral market, but it's still pretty close. But then you start looking at Google and the way that Google um, kind of games these algorithms. And, you know, different publishing companies like Vox Media or, you know, Gizmodo Media, like they have to 
either dedicate entire teams to sit there and you know, game this algorithm constantly to make sure their things are relevant, uh, you know, and also do the same thing on Facebook, or they just can't survive. So this isn't a free market. This isn't an open market. This is a very tilted market towards Google and Facebook and other, you know, platforms. And then he starts looking at, okay, well, what happens when we start, you know, getting even worse and taking the buyers out of the equation too? So, you know, um, I'm sorry, the sellers out of the equation. So, you know, you look at something like Uber, where, you know, it kind of has the illusion of a free marketplace. But, you know, in reality, the people that are driving around don't get to sell the prices. And very soon, uh, you know, those drivers are going to be completely displaced as automated driving takes over. So, you know, he's really looking at how, um, you know, the whole of tech has these short-term advantages for the user that give you, you know, little, um, like it's more convenient to just go to the first Google hint, uh, Google thing and use their services on booking airline tickets. But the long-term like stability of this is really kind of hijacking capitalism and kind of really ensuring that only a few people can compete with this system. So I just, I saw it and I loved it because, you know, this is the world he works in and he really put um, a finger on something that's really broken in the new tech economy. Because mm-hmm. when you think about, I mean, the, the markets that we have online that we use every day, there is so much information available to us and so many choices available to us that it is very difficult to look past that first result. Like the Amazon example is great. Like my first move will just be to sort by cheapest and just go from there. And same with Google News. Like I'll always just look at what's at the top of the page. But if those markets are being manipulated by people that are paying money for their placement or um, manipulated by, I get in the example of Uber, like having ghost cars on their map that make it seem like there are more drivers available than there are, there's yep. not really a good non-time-consuming way to really dig into that in that moment, especially when we're so used to having instant feedback on like, I want to buy this. Here are the results. Here's the cheapest, most um, accessible way I can get this thing. Boom, I have it now. It's mine. I spent my money. Like that's the the workflow that we're used to now with purchasing things. But there are, I mean, because of algorithms and things like that, there are layers that we can't really see things happening behind the scenes. Yeah. I mean, you know, the something we've been dealing with a lot this week is, you know, basically AI algorithms are targeting my uh, congressional campaign, right? Like we've got, you know, we're trying to determine the Russian in origin. I was talking to BuzzFeed about this this week. And basically, you know, we've got these algorithms out there. They're trying to, you know, short circuit my thing. And it's not just, you know, my campaign. It's different marketplaces are completely vulnerable to this kind of hacking. Like, what's going to happen, you know, when you can go through and, like, you know, basically have different companies going through and just filling systems with garbage? I mean, we're really going to get to a point very soon where you you only have three or four um, companies that are basically in charge of all of this information, and there's not going to be a way to kind of recover. No, I thought it was great. I thought it was a great article. I thought Anil really kind of nailed a lot of interesting things. I mean, and it's 
it is kind of sad that like the precipice, like the whole thing that the internet was kind of the web, not the internet, but the web was kind of built on was kind of this openness and it, you know, the free market was part of that too, but it was really this openness sort of thing. And and what we've seen is that has gone and become more closed. And certainly there are product reasons and there are competitive reasons to maybe not be as open as, as we were, but it ends up taking a lot away from us, I think, and, and kind of tangentially, not directly related to a Neil's piece, which is, which is great. But, you know, there has kind of been this, this indie web movement for the last few years that Kevin Marks has been a big part of. And then Neil has been vocal about too, kind of trying to bring people back to owning their own content and, and setting the, you know, standards, um, you know, set, trying, trying to level the playing field again, you know, um, like things were before. And, and I wonder though, like if we're ever going to be able to go back and I don't think we can, mm-hmm. and that's kind of sad. Well, I guess my my question to that, as a, a person who is a, a youth and may not remember completely what things like were before, how much of that is hard data, like the market was improved before, and how much of it is nostalgia-based or just sure. growing pains of shifting economy? I mean, I think that's a fair thing to, to, to say. I guess what I would say to that is, and I, I don't know, I mean, I, we would need to see more concrete things, but I would have to say the conditions that allowed eBay and Amazon to exist certainly don't exist now that to, to come up from nothing. And we see that all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, case in point, Jet.com was a very well-funded competitor to Amazon. And they spent a lot of money and had a bunch of ad campaigns and really tried to get people to use them over over Amazon. You know, VCs poured in money and everybody was like, this is going to be, you know, finally Amazon will have a competitor. Walmart ended up spending a bunch of money in buying them, um, largely because they had kind of a better e-commerce infrastructure than, than Walmart did. Um, but the brand Jet.com has no resonance and will probably end up going away. And, and Walmart, if they're smart, will probably end up absor- reabsorbing it or maybe keeping it around just for people who – for whatever reason, social reasons don't want to shop at Walmart. Mm-hmm. Um, but but, but the, the reality is, is that it took literally hundreds of millions of dollars in VC funding, like literally, and then, you know, a, a massive conglomerate still had to buy them. And it wasn't the exit that people would have wanted, you know, that they would have wanted it to go public and really be a real competitor um, for, you know, Amazon to have any sort of real competition in the modern era. Um, eBay, you know, it obviously auctions are very different and, and, it's different in other parts of the world. I don't want to speak globally, but in the United States, I mean, there is no competitor to them. And if anybody were to try to enter that space now, the market conditions that allowed eBay to thrive 20 years ago simply don't exist now. And I think that's that that's the part that's problematic. So it's not so much the nostalgia for what was and maybe uh, thinking, well, things were better maybe than they actually were. But the reality is, is that because we now have these entrenched systems, the disruption that was possible 20 years ago because of these new business models and because the, the web was open and because um, there was a kind of a level playing field where people could kind of come in and disrupt. And you saw that happen. You literally saw people disrupt massive industries that doesn't exist on the web now. And so I think the big question is how will the next wave of disruption happen if it's not within entrenched um, corporations that, that have vested interests? And I don't know the answer to that because it'd be, it's how could, very how difficult. How could you even rise up and get above that, Christina? Exactly. Like, I mean, Precisely. Look, at, um, look at like say Amazon that clearly you know, displaced Sears and Macy's and all those old department stores, you know, 
how could you even have that now? Because the, exactly. the, the course of action now is very, very clear. Uh, you know, someone new comes along and they get acquired by Google or, you know, some other giant media conglomerate. And it's just, that's, it's the way that it works. And I think in particular, this is really, really troubling for media. I mean, because mm-hmm. you can't really have a shakeup if you can't have free information. And exactly. I think the, the really scary stuff in here is I, I'm as guilty as this as anyone. So I used to go to polygon.com every day and I just don't anymore. I'm shaking my I, head. I click on, I'm sorry. I, I, I click on the stories that, um, you know, grab my interest on Twitter. That's, mm-hmm. that's where I get the news from. I go to, I do pay for the New York times. So I read that start to finish every day, but you know, it's, so you are so at the mercy of Facebook and these mm-hmm. other things to kind of get your algorithm out there. Yes. And it's really, that's, I know so many small media startups. It's like, I, I hear them and I see them like getting seed funding and I have no idea how they're going to get to the next level and well, really get profitable. I mean, exactly. I mean, the, the point is, is that, is that companies like, like Vox have to take, you know, massive, massive funding, Buzzfeed Vice, uh, companies like Gizmodo Media Group have to be bought by conglomerates like Univision, you know, like that's, that's the reality in these things that if you're going to, and you're competing against these other big players. So when you're a smaller media company, like where I used to work, one of the challenges that Mashable had was that they'd you know, raised $40 million or whatever in, in funding, which is not a small amount, but is not as much as its competitors and had to kind of refocus. And, and, and there, and there were layoffs and there was a reorganization because the competitors had all raised hundreds of millions and trying to go up against that becomes very difficult. Again, like you say, when you are beholden to Facebook algorithms and Twitter algorithms and what people are seeing, and you have to be on other platforms where you are not necessarily you know, where, where there are editorial decisions and advertorial decisions being made that the content is not indicative, you know, is not responsible for. And it's it's very difficult to, to be in the game. Mm-hmm. And like the question that you raised of how does, you know, today's Amazon get started, uh, which you raised quite a while ago, but I'm, I'm returning to it now as a from from a consumer perspective, if there were a company that came along and tried to be what Amazon is now, I'd be like, who are you? Who even are you? Can I trust you? Because we have these entrenched institutions, as Bree said, that service all these needs, which, of course, doesn't mean that we're not ready to, you know, drop our usernames and passwords and emails and all our personal information on a fancy new startup. I mean, look at whatever social media sensation happens this weekend, Peach. Um, (laughs) But but that's not something that has the infrastructure of an Amazon, which is a titan and, you know, deals in physical goods and stuff like that. I I feel like people are less likely, I'm not sure how, you know, what it was like in the first days of Amazon as they were trying to get people to spend their money online, which is something that difficult. Yeah, it was it was hugely difficult. But the difference was back then, there was a convenience aspect. So you were, of course, afraid and kind of leery of giving your credit card out. And there was, you know, people who were like, well, I'm never gonna give my credit card out, you know, to to a company on the internet, there were plenty of people who for years, you know, it was well into the 2000s before they were willing to do that. But people came around, um, uh, fairly quickly, the convenience and, and the fact that, mm-hmm. oh, I can literally order this book that I can't get anywhere else and it'll be delivered to my house. That was 
a groundbreaking enough idea that people were willing to do it. The same thing with eBay. You were kind of willing to trust and say, well, I want this Pez dispenser that someone in Iowa has, and I don't want to have to go to you know a, a swap meet and I can get it now. That was disruptive enough that I think that it was kind of able to overcome those those questions. The same thing with even more recently with Uber. Uber, you know, is on the surface not, you know, kind of a scary proposition, which is mm-hmm. when it first started, especially before they were working with liveries and in and, and, and certain markets and, and, you know, had kind of, um, you know, uh, background checks and whatnot, you know, you're ordering a car, you don't know who's driving it. In, in some markets, like in New York, it was black cars at the beginning, which was nicer. But like in San Francisco, it was like always, it was kind of like regular people driving around. So you're trusting a stranger to take you from place to place. Airbnb, you're literally agreeing to let a, st- a stranger stay in your apartment <laughs> or you're agreeing to stay in a stranger's apartment rather than a hotel. The convenience aspect, I think, is typically what will get people to overcome those sorts of objections and trust issues. And I think you still can do that. I mean, I just named, you know, uh, two examples, Airbnb and Uber, which are, you know, fairly new. Um, but I think that it's just that the way that the that these fake markets are kind of being created now makes it, it's becoming exponentially harder for areas like for disruption in areas like this to come up again and again. The uh, example of Uber uh, reminded me of the quintessential Twitter, this quintessential tweet that makes me laugh every time I see it, which is, you know, when we grew up, we were told, don't get in cars with strangers and don't talk to people online. 2017, I go online to order a car driven by a stranger. Right. Like the culture has changed so much in just a short time. And yeah, it's hard to see somebody. I mean, maybe that's just my short sightedness as a human being, but it's hard to see somebody now coming up to take the place of those institutions that are so, so ingrained and yet also so fresh. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's Precisely. Human beings and I, are weird, Christina. Human, human beings are weird. But I think that, like, to Anil's point, though, I mean, what, what I fear is is that as more disruption happens, it becomes di- more and more difficult for future disruption to happen. And that's disappointing. And I don't know mm-hmm. how we stop that. Yeah. Well, I think from here, it's going to be, like, a really big problem is everything from here is going to be, you know, iterative. Right. So let's say someone came along, like Jeff tried to do this, Christina, right? Like they had one little feature that was supposed to be like, you know, their thing to differentiate it. You know, someone came along today with, um, you know, some better thing with uh, eBay, right? Like, I don't know, they they package everything up for you. That ultimately just becomes a a slight feature for the thing that's existing. So you have this system where anyone that's going to be coming along with the new idea is going to be either bought out or that's just going to be copied. And we really are getting into like, you know, an academic version of late stage capitalism where it's hard to really see where we're going from here. Um, you know, I just finished reading a book uh, today. Uh, it's called The Circle. And yeah, it's, it's a great book. kind of a, it's a great book. It's this take on, you know, what happens when Google really gets to the ultimate point of Google, when, you know, all information is tied into there. And you can, you know, 
like if you're trying to solve a crime, it's automatically going through and looking at everyone's pictures and then referencing it with, you know, all the information in a neighborhood. Like it sounds great at the start of it, but there's all this Orwellian stuff that starts happening because of it. So, I mean, the only practical way I can see forward from here is to have regulators in charge that really understand the dangers here. Because I I do think we're at a point where, you know, Christian, when I was a teenager, you know, they broke up AT&T. Yep. And that did, you know, break bring down long distance terms in the, you know, in the short yeah. term. Even well, though no, it, well it and it created kind of, all these small yeah. companies. I mean, ironically, AT&T now and Verizon now are both what right. used to be AT&T. But yeah, exactly. It created all these baby bells. It created these smaller right. things. And in long distance, you're dead on. I mean, that brought down the price of long distance. Like that's why long distance is free now, basically. You know, that's a pretty relevant thing to segue into a different topic. But first (laughs) I'm going to tell everyone that this episode of rocket is brought to you by Squarespace and at squarespace.com. And when you're at checkout, you can enter offer code rocket to get 10% off your first purchase and make your next move at Squarespace, which lets you, in case you were wondering, in case you've never listened to this show before, been on the internet or heard a podcast ever in your life, Squarespace lets you make a website. You can make the whole website without even giving them your credit card number. You just build the website using their drag and drop tools and it's beautiful and wonderful. And then you're like, oh, I want to publish the website that I've spent my time creating, my creativity, my my wonderful energies. I've put them all into this product. I must publish it. And that's the point where you, you know, you sign up and you put in the offer code Rocket to get your 10% off. And then you too have a beautiful website and you fight me for the 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 role, the the number one spot. It's like the Westminster Dog Show of beautiful beautiful websites except that i'm number one because i have the most beautiful squarespace website but you can always try to displace me by going to squarespace.com and signing up today um i wish you the best of luck enjoy messing around with their many beautiful minimalist templates you can make a website that's one page you can make a website that's a ton of pages and a store where you sell your products you can make a website that's a portfolio where you display your art or your films or your what have you your tweets you can embed your tweets in there you won't win you won't win this contest if you just make a website where you show off your tweets But you could do it if you wanted to. And that's the power of Squarespace.com. You could create a blog. You could publish your blog there or even your podcast. And in that case, you definitely wouldn't win against me because I would have to fight you because I have a podcast. It's called Rocket. You're listening to it right now. Um, But anyway, Squarespace will let you do all of those things. Like I said, portfolio, online store, blog, publishing your podcast, you know, whatever. It's an all-in-one platform that lets you do all of these things. You don't have to install software. There are no patches to worry about. You don't even have to know how to code, which is wild. But if you do know how to code, then you can use your knowledge, tweak, tweak the code, do your little code tweaking things. And in that case you would like, I don't know, if you're like really good at that, I bet you could do something like super, super cool and unexpected, like have lasers come out of your website. And in that case, I guess I would like give you the top prize. But a website doesn't need lasers. A website needs to be functional and, you know, attractive to customers. And Squarespace 
does that out of the box. Stop trying to put lasers on your websites, guys. I'm really tired of it. Squarespace also has 24-7 customer support if you need any help along the way. Um, And I, again, I've used their uh, customer support to figure out how to get the Google robots to crawl my website. I actually just used it this week. Um, But I honestly can't remember what it was that I was Googling. Uh, or looking up on Squarespace, I, I googled Squarespace support. That's that's literally uh, what I did there. I was like, I need I need Squarespace to help me answer this question. So, and I, I did uh, whatever that question was. I really wish I had written that down. I'm a bad person, but it did happen. And Squarespace lets you easily grab a unique domain name, which, as you know, is super important in your website publishing goals because you got to get my attention. And I am a very busy person. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month and you can start that trial again. No credit card required. Build the entire freaking website and then sign up with offer code Rocket to get 10% off the first purchase. Show your support for Rocket. Thank Squarespace for their awesomeness of having a platform that is really convenient and easy to use and uh, support Relay FM and then have a website that you link to everyone in the world, starting with me. Thank you so much, Squarespace, for supporting the show once again. Uh, we super duper appreciate it. I'll look in my search history and find out what I asked of you. Goodbye. I feel cheated that I don't have all of that on video, Simone. I feel I, know. I feel cheated. You, you could have seen like the I look of panic angry. on my face as I realized that I didn't remember what I had been looking up. What was it? Yeah. yeah. God, I'm garbage. <laughs> I'm literally looking in my, my search history right now. Um but that's a story for another day because it's time for us to talk about Verizon and bringing it back to that uh, cell phone thing. Yep. Bringing or starting unlimited plans. Quote, Quote unquote, unlimited. unlimited plans, which is something that Christina Warren wrote about in an article in Gizmodo, which is in our show notes. Uh, yeah. So you were basically discussing whether the quote unquote unlimited plan is that the correct tone of voice for me to be that's using in this discussion unlimited yeah i mean i think yeah that, that's correct tone i see so verizon is basically saying 80 bucks a month uh to get unlimited data yeah plus unlimited phone calls and text messages with a 65 dollar fee for the unlimited data well, so it's eighty dollars for a single user. Um, it's a hundred and forty dollars for two users. If if you get four people on your plan, it's like forty five dollars a person. Anyway, okay. it's um you know it starts at eighty dollars a month. Um, basically, how it works is it's like sixty five for the oh, data I and see, the messages. I see, I see. Then there's a twenty dollar um uh, so the sixty five plus twenty line a, access and, and, fee is the eighty line together. access fee exactly. And then there's a five dollar um uh, a discount if you do auto pay. So anyway, it, but it comes down to you know starts at eighty dollars a month for a single line and goes up um you know from there. Um, it's um so Verizon used to do unlimited data and they got rid of their plan about five years ago and have slowly really gone out of their way to try to kick the users who were grandfathered into unlimited plans off of their network. Like they've gone as far as saying, if you use too much data and in fairness, some of these users were using way, 
way, way lots of data. I mean, like, we're, like, like hundreds of gigabytes. And Verizon was like, yeah, you're, you're gone off our network. Um, and they were also doing certain things where they would throttle data and say, okay, if you use over a certain amount, we're going to start slowing down um, how much, um, how fast your data is. AT&T did that too um, with, with their old unlimited plan um, when they're trying to kick people off their network. You know, but they really gone out, they really, they had, they got rid of unlimited and they really went out of their way to kind of get people who were on those plans onto tiered plans. And, of all the the wireless companies, they were the ones who were up up until even like October, November, like the most like adamant about like anti unlimited data plans. Um, because over the last couple of years, we've seen Sprint was first, and and they kind of did their unlimited plan, and then T Mobile followed up, and AT and T has an unlimited plan. The caveat there is you also have to subscribe to Directv, which you know adds an additional expense and and isn't something that a lot of people can do because if you don't live in an area that can have a satellite, it's a whole other thing. Um, but you know Verizon was kind of the lone holdout, and they shocked everybody on Sunday. They they announced it, it was like during the Grammys, and then rolled it out on Monday their new unlimited plan. Now with all, as with all unlimited plans, there's an, a huge asterisk because there are caveats. Uh, unlimited is not actually unlimited. In this case, what this means is that Verizon says that there is up to basically guaranteed, you know, super fast LTE to 22 gigabytes a month. If you use beyond 22 gigabytes, they have at their discretion, they could start to deprioritize your data. And then what that means is basically they could say, well, we're not going to necessarily give you the fastest pipes because we have other customers we need to serve first. So your data could be slightly slower. The other caveat is that if you want to do um, you know, tethering, um, you're limited to 10 gigabytes a month on LTE for hotspot or, or tethering. Um, if you uh, go beyond that 10 gigabytes, then um, you'll be dropped down to 3G speeds. So there are <laughs> caveats. Um, but those caveats are basically the same as what you see at the other places too. Um, you know, uh, T-Mobile actually responded uh, to, to Verizon's plans. T-Mobile's unlimited plan is now better because of Verizon's um, and and is probably for most people going to be the better financial deal. So if you live in an area where T-Mobile and Verizon are serve equal service, you're going to save money on T-Mobile. That said, though, what I kind of found, kind of looking into it, especially comparing my own Verizon bill with uh, the unlimited thing, I was like, oh, I can actually save, you know, probably thirty dollars a month going to the unlimited plan and get more data, uh, which is exciting. Yeah, um, especially since you're already a Verizon customer, like that's exactly. a good deal right there. Oh, totally. I, I might actually still wind up switching to T-Mobile because now their um, T-Mobile used to their their unlimited caveats used to be that if you wanted to stream video in HD, you had to either pay fifteen dollars. You had to pay fifteen dollars a month extra. Otherwise, their video um, that you would stream, which was not counted against your data plan, would be limited to four eighty p. And like that might be fine on your phone, but on your iPad or something like that would be lame. Um, and so, uh, and their other thing was that if you wanted to tether, you had to pay an extra $25 a month per line. So if for, you know, two phone lines, both people who would want to tether, that'd be another $50 a month, um, which would be silly. Uh, they've gotten rid of that requirement. So now the tethering is included and, um, HD video, you have to turn it on in their app, but you can turn it on, um, and, and you can stream HD video for free, um, on their limited plan too. So they've made it, they've made it better, but, um, 
you know, all these all these plans have caveats. Unlimited isn't actually unlimited. Uh, this is not going to be as good if, if you know, I, I got plenty of uh, e- uh, reader emails and comments from people being like, oh, this isn't as good as my unlimited plan from Verizon five years ago. No, no, it's not um, at all. And if you have that plan, don't give it up um, <laughs> uh, unless you're using under a certain amount of, of, of data, in which case it might be worth saving the money. But if, if you... Um, but but it's still better than what Verizon was offering before, and mm-hmm. uh, it's it's interesting that this is what kind of competition has kind of forced them into. Uh, you know, uh, I I would say Sprint a little bit, but I think really this is T-Mobile's aggressive marketing and and their CEO John Legere really going all out on Facebook and Twitter and just being very aggressive and kind of coming at them. That's kind of forced the nation's biggest carrier and and frankly the most expensive carrier to finally be like. <sighs> Fine, we'll we'll give we'll give an unlimited plan. Mm-hmm. And uh, this... I, I saw this. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Were you going to talk about the tweets? Because I was going to talk about the tweets. I was going to talk about the Super Bowl ads. Yeah, which yeah was, uh, that's great. Right. Right. Oh yes. Yeah. Oh. So uh, if you no, saw Verizon's yeah. Super Bowl ad, it was uh, basically Fifty Shades themed, <laughs> and yeah, it, it then very spawned weird. a Twitter war with T-Mobile. Yes. About if I if I may quote the best Verizon tweet I have ever laid my two eyes on. Yes, at T-Mobile, we're into BDSM, bigger coverage map, devastating speed, and massive capacity. Oh my god, so bad. Oh my god, it's so bad. I mean, it's great, but it's also like, wow. It's the best thing that has ever happened to me as a person. <laughs> no, honestly, I love it when John John Legere is my favorite CEO. He is on. He is fiery. He is fantastic. So it, he and I are Twitter friends. And we're Facebook friends, too, actually. Um, and uh, he and I have actually DM'd before about Gossip Girl. Um, fun fact. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, fun fact. But no, he's but, but he doesn't he doesn't care. You know, he's like, we'll literally go all out and and just attack these other telecom CEOs. And it's so funny because usually when they fire back, they don't fire back like that strongly. Um, or, you know, it'll be like, like Sprint in particular gets fairly weak with him, but the BDSM thing, I was like, well done Verizon marketing person. Like that was good. Yeah. Yeah. They took that, they took that chance and they ran with it. They did. Um, And I honestly don't remember what I was going to say, actually, probably something about I'm on T-Mobile and I don't get reception underground below 34th street. But, um, (laughs) well, I mean, I don't know if you would on anything. Yeah, I, I just wanted to talk about the plan a little bit. Um, I mean, I looked at this, Christina, and I'm like, I can't do this. I mean, do you not hotspot a lot? Am I the only person that does that? Like, I'm, I'm doing it right now so I can record our show. And, like, only having 10 gigs to do to hotspot on? Like, I'm on a 60-gig-a-month plan for a reason, just because yeah. I'm constantly traveling. Um so I, I I don't know. That's a reason I couldn't do it. Um, yeah, beyond that, I mean, it feels like there's a lot of pushback sometimes because people want that unlimited. You know, I understand that you want to like feel like you're getting the best deal, but I think data throttling is eminently reasonable, right? Like for most people, they're using a normal amount of the maximum capacity of the network. You know, like they're going to have full LTE speed, but people that are like, you know, constantly streaming, you know, Simone's YouTube videos for Polygon. Constantly. Like screw them. They need to, they, yeah, constantly. Like they've just got it going 24 seven. They, it just seems reasonable to me to throttle that back some. So 
I don't know. I don't, you know, I, I see this and like I do the math in my head about how much it costs to add capacity, which I think normal people should have more of a, an appreciation for. And it just all seems utterly reasonable. Yeah, no, I mean, and I think that for certain circumstances, yeah, like if you're someone like you who is traveling all the time and needs to use internet, paying for 60 gigs of data is worth it. Um, and I also think that most people who pay for unlimited might not necessarily use that much. And and that's the, the, the dirty little secret of this is that Verizon got rid of their, their 15 gigabyte and, and and like their 22 gigabyte like plans. They got rid of like their, their higher capacity plans that could have in some ways been cheaper for people and instead moved to this unlimited, you know, thing, which I, I mean, I think it's a marketing term and it makes people feel better, but they're not, just, yep. but, but, but two things, one of two things are going to happen. Either you're not really going to use the quote unquote unlimited part. So you might be overpaying in that sense and you would be just fine on like an eight gigabyte plan or a 10 gigabyte plan if they still offered that. Um, or you're in a situation like you, Brie, where you have to pay for extra data because you use that much. And, um, you know, I don't know if they're, it, I assume if you called Verizon, like on their website, they don't have an offer now for you to pay like 60 for 60 gigabytes of data. But I'm sure if you called and said, this is how much I need, they would give you something. Instead, they say, okay, you know, it's $15 a gigabyte extra on top of your thing, which is ridiculous. And and that would you yeah. know not, not be tenable. Um, but I'm sure if you called, you know, in any of these places, they would, they would give you more if you need it. But yeah, I mean, I, I, a lot of this, um, I, and I also agree with you too. The, the throttling stuff I think is fair. I think where it becomes unfair is, is that what, especially what AT&T was doing, Verizon, I think was completely in line to, to throttle the people who were using like 200 gigabytes a month <laughs> unlimited and paying like, like 50 bucks a month. Like that's yeah. Throttle those people do it. Cause they're making it worse for everybody. But what AT&T was doing, um, and, and they ended up having to be like the, the FCC, like told them we can't do this was that they would like, if it was over small amounts, like over two gigabytes, they were throttling people it, who were yeah. still on, on unlimited plans. And, and that's a problem, you know? Um, but I mean, I think what, where this becomes interesting is, you know, we're obviously 4G is the rollout in most places is complete. And, and most of us all have the benefits in most places of using 4G data. And, and that's great. But now the next wave is going to be, you know, 5G and 5G has the potential to be frankly, you know, as fast as fiber. Um, and, and so that means it'll be faster than the internet most people get in their homes, you know, through, through cable. Um, and I think that that, again, there are always capacity questions with the networks. The networks always try to push back, but I, I wonder, like, it's a weird thing where like, I think we have, we're finally back in unlimited in the 4g era, but I guarantee you as soon as 5g starts to get rolled out, we're going to have data caps again. Like it's just, yeah. it's going to yeah. happen. It, it's a yin and yang, even though it, even though it's probably not a capacity thing, it becomes a, a an artificial scarcity thing where they're like, Oh, be, because it, it, you know, Oh no, it's so it, fast. It Well, right. Well, I mean, cause at that point, I mean, already for a lot of people, like in some cases, my LTE is faster. I mean, certainly like you, Brie, when you're in a hotel, you're using LTE cause it's faster than the hotel internet. I mean, that's a fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and I do that too when I travel. When I, when I travel, I always use like a hotspot rather than using um, the hotel internet because it's usually cheaper to use that even on my own data plan than to pay for the hotel internet, which is often slower. Um, oh, but it's but, still going to suck. Like you could spend $15 for that. The exactly. Beat, it still sucks. It still sucks. 
Yeah, I've got to watch. I have to watch 24 Legacy, Christina. I'm not going to wait till I get back to Boston. <laughs> no, nor, nor like should an you. animal. I have no, to see hot, Jack, hot new uh, Jack Bauer. But well, on, I, I, <laughs> on that note, why don't yeah. we talk about what yeah. you're doing this week? Wait, before I do that, I just have to say Go this. for it. I, what really upsets me, though, about the data plant, I, I'm really curious if I'm the only person that has this. So it's true that sometimes when I travel, my data goes just sky high, right? Like I've gone through 30, 40 gigs in a month, but that's rare. The real reason that I'm on a 60 gig a month data plan is my husband, because he mm-hmm. will switch off his Wi-Fi. Yeah. When it's slow in places, yes. it'll switch over to LTE, and then you'll never right through switch it. it back on. Never switch it. And I had so many fights in my marriage about this, where I'm like, Frank, why'd you go over our data cap? Oh my <laughs> god, you've left Wi-Fi off your phone all month. Why are you doing yep. this? It just got <laughs> to the point where it's like it's not worth a hundred dollars for me a month to just not have this fight with my husband constantly. I want to know if I'm the only one that has that problem. I don't think I am. I haven't had this recently, but I used to have this problem with Grant and, and he, he stopped. I think it started, it it stopped mostly when he, when we got like a switch and he could be directly plugged in, but where his home office is sometimes like the Wi-Fi is not as strong as it should be. And so he would have like, he would do the same thing. This was especially true when he had the, the, the 4G iPad before he broke it, before he broke his iPad mini and, and, it, and it became obsolete. Um, he, we had a data plan on it and he would just like go places and just do all of his work and do all of his streaming and stuff. And like, I, it would be like the 10th of the month and I'm getting the text from Verizon saying you're 10% away from going through your thing. I'm like, I'm like, I pay for 15 gigabytes. What are you talking about? Like it, it it's the 10th of the month. Like stop. Yep. Um, and, yep. and, and, and then I'd be like, okay, great. Now I have to stop myself from doing anything. Um, right. and, and, you know, and, and so, yeah, I, I've definitely been in that situation before and I use, I, I pay for less data than you do. Um, although there have yeah. been months where I've used 40 gigs and had to pay for it. Um, but yeah, no, that's, um, we're, we're definitely two peas in a pod there, uh, there, Brie, where our, our husbands forget to turn yes. on Wi-Fi yeah. again. Well, but that, Come but that's on. the whole point, though, right? Is that at this point, oftentimes the LTE is faster than the Wi-Fi, and so I, I feel like the, I feel like this this era of unlimited literally is going to disappear as soon as five G happens, where it genuinely is faster for everybody than their home internet. They're going to be like. Yep. Oh no! Sorry, we're not going to let you just use this as your <laughs> internet everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god way. oh my god god so so simone you asked what i was doing this week this is what i'm doing this week i'm watching 24 episode three of 24 legacy a fourth and fifth time because that's how much i love 24 it's my show i love it i'm very happy about that also i've been um with my congressional campaign for eight days i have a giant stack of email i have people that want to meet with me i have people i need to give interviews to so um yeah i'm coming back to boston i'm doing a whole bunch of tv i'm doing a lot of fundraising which is most of what running for congress is about it's great it's awesome i don't even want to think about that many emails christina what are you up to Um, so I'm I'm working on a couple of things. I'm reviewing a laptop. I'm, I'm actually about to, speaking of routers, I'm I'm doing a big, uh, exhaustive testing between various mesh routing systems. Um, and, and that, that, that'll be out in a couple of weeks. It's going to be 
in depth because it's there's a video component too. But I'm testing the Google Home, the Eero, and the um, uh, Netgear um, all up against one another. Um, and uh, and I'm working on a big uh, a big story I can't talk about, uh, but kind of a big analysis thing that hopefully will be up um, not um, Friday then next week early. So we're getting a lot of stuff. Can I ask a super quick question about that? So sure. the main router I have at home is a. This one's a three-year-old time capsule that just yeah. by some miracle it has not fried yet because time capsules love to fry. Yeah. Is it? Is there a good – the reason I've not gone out and bought a new router is because, you know, Apple security stuff, like a router is a super vulnerable point, right? Totally. And I, I'm very scared to go out and get a, like – you know, like a Netgear or whatever. Like, I mean, is there, are there speed reasons to really upgrade to a router? Cause like I, I barely looked at 801.11n and stuff. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that like, if you've got like your time capsule, like, which is probably AC, cause I've got a, a current, yeah. um, I, I have a, a, an airport extreme and it's, it's AC and, in most of my apartment, it's fine. The, the reason that the mesh routers and the reason I'm testing them is like there is like a certain dead point, like I said, like where my husband's office is, where a lot of times like he's – it's not as fast. There's like a certain point in the apartment because the building is old where like it drops out. And so these you know, these mesh routers, you could kind of create that with an airport express, but like it's it's more complicated. You know, we're supposed to make it better and we're supposed to make it faster. And so theoretically – it's supposed to be, you know, a faster scenario, and then the apps are supposed to be very easy to install. But that's kind of something I'm looking at in terms of security. I mean, okay. I think at this point, if you're using strong enough passwords, all these systems, all the modern systems, are are fine. Um, you know, keeping your firmware up to date and that sort of thing. But but I think the main reason is for a lot of people want the mesh systems is because it really does let you blanket your home with Wi-Fi without having those dead spots. Huh. All right. Well, I look forward to that. Yay. And uh, I, uh, oh, I had something, and then I lost it. A book. Mm, my book came sorry. out. My book yeah. came out. My book came out. It my came book is, out. It's out today. It came out today. Congratulations! Oh Technically last night if you pre-ordered it. Um, so I'm just blah, writing blog posts and screaming. Um, I, I swear I had something else that was not related to that, but I guess I don't actually. I'm lying. It's just uh recovering from the book finally being out there um and we can talk about that next week when it's not midnight um but yeah i'm I'm super happy and heartened and glad that it is finally in the world and off my computer um and that is pretty much what i'm doing prepping some you have to give you have to give listeners the elevator pitch tell listeners about your book and tell them why they should buy it all right, so this is a romantic murder mystery about a guy whose twin ran off with the fairies about a year ago and ends up dead. And Finn freaking hates fairies. He grew up in a small town in Washington where they've always kind of been, like, being worried about being kidnapped by fairies has been a nuisance all his life, and he's been terrified of it. And now his freaking twin brother, uh, who he had a complicated relationship with, is dead. So he decides, okay, I'm going to set this to rest once and for all, because I don't trust anyone to sol- to get to the bottom of what happened to his brother. So he goes to the fairy realm and ends up in neck deep in trouble with fairies, uh, trying to solve the mystery of his brother's death, and specifically with one fairy who is helping him slash being a thorn in his side, uh, who is Robin, who he 
then has a, a another complicated relationship with because it is of course a romance uh enemies to oh, lovers romance yeah. for all um so that that is what sparkwood is about you can find it on amazon and um lt3 which is my publisher and barnes and noble and smashwords and uh i don't know every everywhere that books are sold i'm waiting eagerly Yay! for my physical copy so that i can stroke it oh my god and then uh, read it I, i'm gonna buy this i'm gonna buy this yes Hell i am yeah. too heck so, yeah send, 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 send us the link in our chat so i can buy oh, it right yeah, now. i will absolutely send you the chat link so um, proud of you thank so you so i'm so, so happy that so it's hard. done which means i can start on the next book because i don't know how to have fun in my life oh <laughs> uh, yes uh but i i am actually super super thrilled about it so yes um yay and if you do buy it i'll do my my plug but you might be familiar with this plug from the end of the show but it really actually does mean a lot as i say every week if you review things whether that's this podcast or whether it is my book if you happen to buy it on amazon um because i mean especially as a new author like having reviews even if they're bad reviews uh it's it's helpful for like letting people know um about the product and about writers and about whether they might like it or not like what what how did you feel about it anyway i love feedback also so you know i want to know I've spent literally a year of my life suffering over this stupid book. So, yes, I would like to know how people think about it. <laughs> um, okay, okay, so, okay. Yes. I, I want to tell Rocket listeners this. Now, I want you to listen to me really closely. Do not review our show this week. Go review Simone's book. Agreed, Go agreed. Go buy Simone's book because if you don't, Christina and I will hunt you down. <laughs> We will we'll make it our mission to get revenge. So please go review Simone's book just for your own safety. That's what makes it a good idea. We want you to be okay. A fair and honest and non-obligatory review. Very obligatory. Very obligatory. obligatory. Completely obligatory. <laughs> Completely yes. obligatory. You guys, if you love us, you know you love Simone. Yeah. She's the best part of the show. Right. Re- right. Read her book. Review her book. Get it wherever you can. All the places she told you. There's We're going to have the Amazon it. link in the comment. There's, of yeah, course, there's sex, there's sex in, it. in it. Yeah, there's sex in it. Great sex. I'm. I'm so excited to read this. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. I'm so proud of you. Oh, no, I remember the thing I was going to say. I finally watched The People versus OJ. But anyway. Right? Isn't this fantastic? Oh. It, well, that's a whole oh. other show right there is me that reacting is. a year too late to The People versus OJ. I um, told you a year oh ago, God. Simone. You did. I literally told you a you year ago. You told me. You told me and you gave me as my family member your logins for websites yes, I where I could watch it. And I did not watch it until it was available on Netflix. On Netflix. Because I am a bad sister. And that is the story sister. of my life. Um, but I promise that if you review my book, I will never again make an empty <laughs> promise to watch a TV show and then never watch it, You're which is something that I have lied. done 5,000 times. You, don't, don't, don't make that promise, Simone, because you, you want, want people to review your book. Hey, listen. Yeah. <laughs> if you want people to review your book, don't lie. I can't we want stop people lying. to review your book. Where can I find you online, Christina? You can find me at film underscore girl or Doom Quasar's um, uh, number one fan. No, you can find me at film underscore girl uh, on, on, uh, on, on Instagram, uh, uh, Snapchat, uh, Twitter, uh, etc. Nice. Brianna, what about you? You're not going to be able to find me this week oh, because no. I'm going to be reading Simone's book. 
Heck and yeah. I'm just, I'm not going to respond to anything. So, you know, just go review her book and then you can contact me by, I'll read your review and then I'll know who you are. So that's how you can contact me. Wow. That's really deep, complicated way of getting in touch with someone. You can find me <laughs> well. on Twitter at Doom Quasar. Um, you can find my videos at youtube.com slash polygon. You can find updates on my writing at Daria DeFour on Twitter. Um, and thank you again so much for listening to this show. Uh, don't review it. What? Oh, we don't know don't review it. Don't review it. Review it. You should review it, though. Just, <laughs> like, I want you to be spending at least an hour of your day just reviewing things online. Like, I think as a person, this is the, the community service that you owe to our, our connected world. <laughs> Uh, maybe even two hours. It won't take that long to review the show and the book. I'm sorry. Just enjoy everything. Enjoy your lives. Thank you for listening to Rocket, which is a show that I hope you enjoy weekly. I'm Simone, and this episode is terminated. <laughs> terminated. So before before we start the show, Christina, I've got to ask you how I like. I live to watch your Bachelor live <laughs> tweeting. Like it Thank is. Thank you. I don't really watch the show every single week, but I feel like I get the, I feel like I get the glory of it just by reading your live tweets. So how, how psyched are you about the new Bachelorette? Oh like, my that God. Is, I'm so like, excited. I, I'm, I'm reading about her and I'm like, she's amazing. Well, here's the thing. Because I've not accomplished nearly as oh, much as she well, here, has. Okay. Yeah, I have, I, yeah. I, have a few, I have a few thoughts. First of all, she's yes. without a doubt the best candidate they've ever had on the show. Yes. Um, She's too good for the show. And I said that when <laughs> when she showed up. Like, honestly, like, right. I looked at it, and I, I was thinking, I was like, is I think her long-term game, I mean, I think that maybe she thought Nick was cute, but I have to think that her long-term game was to be Bachelorette. No, and then back my, my up, th- back up, back up, because some of us aren't on Twitter as much as we should be, and we've okay. missed Christina's live tweets of The Bachelor and don't okay, know who explain. the new Bachelorette oh. is. Oh. Okay, her name is Rachel Simone. Lindsay. She's 31. Yes. She's black. She's um, a litigate. She's like a corporate attorney in Texas. Her father's a federal judge. She's a complete and total badass. She's awesome. She's smart. She's funny. She's beautiful. She's nice. She she's seems nice, nice too. No, she, she's yeah. nice to the other girls. Like she, she gives like him his shit back. Like she doesn't take it. She's a great girl. Like the thing is, is that when you look at the show, they've had some decent leads, female leads before. Um, uh, the last really good one, I guess, was Andy Dorfman. She turned out to be kind of bad, but she was a an assistant DA from Atlanta, and then she, um, Juan Pablo. She made it to the final three, and after their um, I guess their you know uh, fantasy suite moment uh, where apparently according to her he just showed her YouTube videos of his soccer matches and she didn't fuck him <laughs> and she was not into it she dumped him and then he was like oh it's okay it's okay she's like no it's not okay she like like basically was the surrogate to the audience and told him all the things that the audience at home because everyone hated him had been thinking and and that basically got her cast as the bachelorette and then the bachelorette she was fine but she'd picked this guy josh she was terrible anyway her book is whatever she was a yeah. lawyer though she was accomplished um, um yeah. ali fedotowski was on her season of the bachelor she left because she had a job at facebook and she left to go back to her job at Facebook because she was like, well, I'm going to lose my job if I, if I you know, stick around and I don't feel enough of a connection with you. So I'm going to go back to my job at Facebook, which is a baller move, right? To be like, I'm choosing my career over this show. But then Sheryl Sandberg yeah. is like, actually, bitch, 
you should be the bachelorette. Because they asked her, they're like, do you want to be the bachelorette? And so she asked Sheryl Sandberg, and Sheryl Sandberg is like, yeah. So <laughs> she was on the show. She ended up marrying a guy that she didn't meet on the show, but, but you know, that was fine. And then she ended up getting, you know, TV hosting gigs. She is great. You know, she's a, a great person. Um, they've had some, some decent that, people, but, but this girl is another level. Should- yeah, I think the bachelorette should do it like the debates do it. Like you're watching a presidential debate and they're giving important stuff about the president and then like thoughts from people that you know oh, are like being, being put on screen well, like here's live tweets. And great. I want Christina Warren <laughs> live you. tweets in a box at the bottom of the screen Thank as you. I'm watching I, The Bachelorette. Um, well, they do that after show during Paradise uh, where they sometimes yeah. do that. But thank you. I, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> no, but this girl, this girl, Rachel, is so good. And the thing is, here's, here's, here's my, um, my prediction. So I think that, A, she's going to do really well and people are going to – people already love her. They're going to love her on the show. But a lot of times what happens is that after The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, the lead will get – cast on dancing with the stars <gasps> and and then sometimes they'll parlay it into other things like ali fedotowski got like hgtv like hosting gigs and 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 other people have done stuff here's here's my my guess this is my prediction i think that a rachel is totally going to get cast on dancing with the stars after she's bachelorette like i think that's a no-brainer um because they always cast reality people and she's beautiful and she seems to have moves and rhythm and like i think that that's going to happen but i think that beyond that I think she's going to be a panelist on The View. <gasps> really? I mean, she's a lawyer. She's like a corporate like litigation attorney. She's like a serious lawyer. She's smart. She knows how to talk. Yes, and debate. In front and of she's people. Well <laughs> in front of audiences. She, she's well-spoken, and I, and, and I feel bad saying well-spoken because I don't mean that in any way as like a, a, a dog whistle like at all. Like that's in no, no way – like I don't mean that in any sense. I genuinely mean that like a lot of – some lawyers speak better than others, and she's very like she comes across great. She's got a great personality. She's good. Um, the <laughs> only thing that's weird for me, like she's too good for the show. Frankly, that's the only weird thing is is so that th- that to me is like I look at at her and I'm like, did she come on the show? And I would love her more if this were the case. I'll be honest. I wonder if she like looked at it and she was like, I'm awesome. This guy's <laughs> kind of cute. I'm probably he's probably not I'm probably not going to be a love connection if, if it's love great but I wonder if like she went on kind of with the ambition of being like if this goes well yeah I could I could parlay this into a future this is my you know, next career, career move which honestly I mean if she did I would love her even more that that's exactly the type yeah. of woman that you need to find via the bachelorette <laughs> I agree. I mean, like, I mean, apply Simone. No, actually, I don't. I don't think she's into women, unfortunately. But they're, they're. Um, no, I think it's it's she's great. Calling and your name. The the, the thing <laughs> is, what I love about what I love about her. I mean, she's the only th- thing that that is kind of crappy to me is that she's amazing. She's the best bachelorette candidate and the the, the definitely the highest pedigree person they've ever had on the show. And she's leaps and bounds better than the most people they that they usually go on the show already and the most of the leads they pick too but what bothers me to a certain extent and i don't mean to take the, anything away from her because i think she's fantastic and she sh- would always be like more than worthy to be the person it kind of is annoying to me and, and kind of is indicative of like how race in the show has always been so weird and that it took her to finally ha- get a, a person of color cast it's like they had to they they, they couldn't just cast like a, a typical nice sweet you know 
black girl or, or person of color, like woman of color. Like they had to wait until they got literally the perfect candidate. And that to me is kind of messed up. Mm-hmm. Like I have a problem with that. it's been on for 10,000 years. Yeah, it's been on for 15 years. And, and, and so – I'm sort of bothered by the fact that obviously they had plenty of great none it, it is true that the, the no person of color ever made it this far before and 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 so usually what happens is if you get cast as the lead you've made it really far into the season. Um although that doesn't have to be the case. They 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 could have broken the mold beforehand, but that's historically how it's been. And because it's kind of been self-selecting because they don't typically have very diverse casts, people um, from diverse backgrounds don't make it that far. And Juan Pablo was born in America and lived in Venezuela and just because he had a – Was also a jerk. (laughs) Well, it was terrible and homophobic and awful. But the thing is, is that like he was European. Like he was, you know, not – you know what I mean? Like just because you know he mm-hmm. spoke Spanish, like he was blonde hair, blue eyed, like he was European. Like it's a different sort of thing. So when the when ABC tried to be like, oh, he's a person of color, it's like actually no, he's not in any sense of the word, and he's never been treated as if he's been another. And so stop. But like they've had all these opportunities, and they've had good people who would have been every bit as as good as some of the other you know candidates they've had over the years. It's sort of to me, I'm annoyed. And and again, not to take anything away from Rachel because I think she's awesome. She's better than awesome. She's better than the show. But it bothers me that it literally took finding mm-hmm. the perfect, you know, you know, kind of like, like the whole thing. Not just the like, girl next door. They had, to, you know, you know how the, there's the whole the freaking uh, litigator next door who exactly. will like kick your butt. <laughs> who's beautiful? Who has all these things? Who has whose dad is a federal judge? Like when oh she told gosh. Nick about she to, she told Nick about her family and he was like, "Oh, so I can't call him whatever." It's like, "Oh no, you call him sir, you call him Mr. Lindsay or whatever." Like you can't, you know, like she's telling about her family background and you can tell that he's feeling inadequate as he should. Um, I mean, he felt inadequate with her from the first date. She got the first impression rose and like you could tell when she was telling him about herself and had to explain like what she did to a living to him and 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 he had like no real grasp of understanding you know he was a software salesman who now you know is an instagram model and from what um, i can gather from this season it's garbage and he is garbage and rachel season is going to be 10 times better because she's a human being who is interesting 